At Morgan Stanley, old school hard work meets bold new thinking. At 88 years old, we still see the world with the wonder of new eyes, helping you discover untapped possibilities and relentlessly working with you to make them real. Old school grit, new world ideas. Morgan Stanley. To learn more, visit morganstanley.com slash why us. Investing involves risk. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC. It's Jim Cramer here. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Don't miss a minute of the action. Good Wednesday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Jim Cramer and David Faber at the New York Stock Exchange. Trying to claw back the nearly 800 points we lost, even with Tuesday's emergency Fed rate cut. Some observers are pointing, of course, to Biden's comeback last night in Super Tuesday races. Uh, Eurozone eco data, not bad. Stocks are green over there. Question is, can our 10-year yield hold 1%, currently right around 101? Our roadmap begins with the market whipsaw. Global stocks rallying with U.S. equities set to open sharply higher as investors continue to cope with coronavirus-induced volatility. Plus the Biden boost, Wall Street seemingly buoyed by a string of Super Tuesday victories for the former vice president. Is he now the leading contender for the Democratic nomination? And legendary value activist investor Jeff Ubbins with us. He never thought he would see anything like this and why he says it makes value investing impossible. The Fed announced that uh, half percentage point rate cut about 23 hours ago. Wild swings in the market since then. Stocks are looking to recoup most of yesterday's losses, which did include a drop in the Dow of 785 points. Jim, and of course, once that 10-year broke 1%, uh, wow, you could not take your eyes off of this price action. Well, look, I think that, I mean, it's critical. I have historically liked rate cuts, but I didn't like Jay Powell yesterday and what he did. I mean, you can't do that same thing, which is, hey, listen, the fundamentals are sound, but we need to have a gigantic rate cut uh, because that means that the fundamentals aren't sound. And I immediately, I mean, I was here late yesterday. I said, well, that's that's awful. I didn't know we were that bad off. And it, it, people either think we are bad off or the pal knows something. And to see that uh, you get a Biden victory and maybe things bounce back a little is encouraging, mostly because it's just about the 10-year. If the 10-year drops to 9.8, then everything that you see on your screen that's green is going to go red. So just be aware we are in a trader in a dangerous trading market. Uh, if you really love something, wait till it's down. Don't buy it up because you might be, uh, let's say, uh, have to buy more. It's a very discouraging moment, I find, because I, I don't feel that anyone really has a handle on Corona. We're going to be speaking to Larry Culp. I think he's probably trying to get a handle on it like, like everybody like, else. Like CEOs of all uh, major companies or, CEO, frankly, of any company at yes. this point. Of course, everybody's trying to understand it, and it still lacks a great deal of understanding, given we just don't have that many facts. Mr. Culp will be joining us about an hour, hour and a half from now or so. They're having an investor call uh, that is ongoing at GE. We'll right. bring any updates from that as well. But, Jim, you know, uh, no shortage of uh, questioning of the, of the Fed, I think, yesterday. Yes. You, so many people just saying, really, why, why? Yeah. And only coming back so oftentimes to, is it really just to help the stock market? Uh, and if so, is that the relationship that should be foremost? Um, I'm just asking the question. The I know no. I can already hear Leesman or Sarah in my mind, you know, saying to me, no, David, no. No, I look at financial conditions. I, I don't even want to debate it. It's a biological crisis. I said it from the very beginning. It is not a financial crisis. We, we have a very sound system, financial system. It's not a financial. You know, we had a financial crisis in 2007, 2009. We can create one by having the Fed tell us that things are worse or they got to take action. Or we can recognize, look, it, don't. 
don't touch your mouth, don't touch your face. I mean, these things are, are so uh, ethereal. But if the Fed literally came out and said, you know what, we're going to wait till next week, but we understand this is a fluid situation, which is code for we don't know, that would be much better than doing these actions, which basically says we do know. And it's really bad. There is no demonstration. The Fed had no business doing this. They, they, they know no more than Larry Culp does. So what do you do in taking dramatic action uh, when you could really just say, listen, it's a public health issue and we want to throw everything we can at making sure that your company, if it closes, you don't you know, you get compensated so that you can hold over this period. Yeah. Uh, some uh, Reuters had a piece uh, yesterday about the Fed tapping into private data. Right. Trying to understand what's happening on the ground through companies like First Data and others. So I don't know. Maybe Powell seemed to in his, his answers were so short and they were so couched in qualitative versus quantitative. Yeah, it was really disappointing. I mean, at first I figured, you know what he knows? He knows that ADP is going to start really, turn really bad. Well, we got one hundred eighty three thousand job increase. Well, he certainly didn't know that. I, mean, I, I thought it was fatuous. Uh, I know David's right. We have people who talk about the Fed all the time. Well, but the other thing that people talk about is, I don't know. I'm not an epidemiologist. I'm not. The, you don't need to be an epidemiologist to know which way the wind blows. And I think I'm tired of hearing people say, I'm not a virologist. I'm not. A, well, why don't you listen to Dr. Fauci? He is. He's the foremost. And he's saying two things. One, year and a half from now. And two, there's no reason to be optimistic. In terms, of a, in terms of a, uh, a, a vaccine. Your vaccine. There's no reason to be optimistic. Why well, is he I saying that? I was listening that? to Lance Leifer yesterday, who we both I, have great yes, respect for. Because he solved uh, Ebola. From Regeneron. And he was on with Meg and Kelly yesterday. Yeah. I listened closely. And um, they're hoping August that they could actually start to be in, tri- in, te- in trials. But it'll still be... A year yeah. from then. And I speak with them, and what I was hoping that they would do was that this, the Chinese would actually ex- accelerate their process, because we we're so safety-oriented in this country. China has not distinguished itself as being completely safety-oriented. They're much more uh, organized toward knowing what you're going to do and where you're going to go. They're much more about desocializing or make sure that if you're sick, you stay at home. That was, that was part of Fauci's point is that they've arrested the case load because they've taken social distancing to its furthest extreme. We're not going to do that. It says we're not going to do that. And and what I think the people like Len Schleifer spoke to the president, what they basically said is, look, this is why is this novel? Because we have no natural defenses against it. There's no people who are immunized naturally against this. Now, I I have to think that we don't have that many deaths yet. yet, But then all we hear about is you just wait. We're going to be Italy. You just wait. We're going to be Iran. You know, Iran seems to have decided, let, let it rage and see what happens. Yeah. I, I'm talking about China for a moment, of course, where the cases continue to drop, new cases drop dramatically, in part because of the, uh, of the uh, measures they've right. taken. But w- do we have a good sense yet as to the true impact on the Chinese economy and what that's going to mean around the world? Believe it or not, um, Larry Culp has the best handle on it. He may have a very good handle on it. We'll talk to him about it. The Journal Today obviously writes the story, as so many others are focused on it as well, in terms of really trying to understand what the impact has been, not just in New Bay province, right. but throughout the country, given the lack of consumption and a lot of people not getting paid, even if they are well, showing up at work, because small and medium-sized businesses are under pressure there. I mean, that's why I thought that Secretary Mnuchin would come out with some sort of bold plan to be able to say, listen, we're, we're going to tide you over. But that would regard, that would. You're talking re- here about SMEs you know, here yeah. that we could but that, but that would require them to admit it. Well, that's the thing. I mean, uh, plenty of stories this morning of how the president's balking at major stimulus. Right. He's going to leave it to Congress if they want to do a payroll tax cut. We're not going to roll back China tariffs. 
Um, you know, it's right. Why? Why is that, Jim? Well, I, I think that it is an election year. Also, I think the president. Well, the president want to come out and say, "Look, I'm really, really worried." Does he want to do what the Fed did? I mean, the Fed made me feel. Listen, I got to go. Now, I used some props yesterday. Let me just make it really clear. Yes, I do have the 3M mask. Yes, I have gloves. Why? Because I'm being told in everything I read that you should do that. Don't touch your face. But these are things. I mean, let's face it. All we're trying to do is lower the odds from getting it ourselves. Yeah. And if that's what we're talking about, I'm spending more time lowering the odds than I am trying to figure out whether raw stores is any good. And people are trying to spend more time lowering the odds than they are going to a conference to try to close a deal. And so there is a cessation of commerce of which the president and the Treasury Secretary should be well aware of. But no if doubt. you're going to say that everything's fine. No doubt. I mean, I'm, you know, I, I try to talk to a number of investment bankers every day, whether yes. they got anything going on or not. And what I'll tell you is they're not getting on planes. No. Uh, and things are activity is not occurring that otherwise would. Right. Um, as a result of that, uh, even right now in this country, I'm just looking at notes yesterday from a couple of conversations I had. Uh, caution is the watchword. Right. Meetings are being canceled all over. Listen, the, uh, um, guys, the 10-year certainly caught our attention yesterday. I know yes. that and so many others. And let's not forget, of course, if you're a long-term, if you are on a fixed income, if you have a 401k or an IRA uh, that has got a lot of fixed income in it, if you uh, are a pension fund trying to meet your 7% bogey, 1.2% on the 10-year or even 2% didn't help you. But now below 1% is truly shocking. But it's even beyond that. I had an opportunity this morning to sit down with Jeff Ubbin. He's a longtime, of course, the founder and a longtime uh, uh, chief investment officer at Value Act. Uh, now he is actually the, the portfolio manager of their so-called Spring Fund. That's what the name of it is, an ESG-focused fund. But Ubbin's been around these markets for many, many years as a value investor, sometimes as an activist. And he made an interesting connection this morning between... The fall in the 10-year yield and value investing. Take a listen. We um, have gone to the longest duration asset in the in priced it as if it's always going to be this way. And it's been going on for 5 or 10 years. So it's kind of the death of value investing to a certain extent because the world becomes kind of value, valuation agnostic. Um, and once you kind of lose your connection to intrinsic value, and what is intrinsic value if terminal value is discounted back at 1%, right? Right. Once you lose that, though, you kind of, as a value investor with, an old, with a bunch of baggage, you kind of lose your bearings. And he admits, Jim, he's lost his bearings, as wow. so many other value investors that I've spoken to recently say similarly. It's well, just... well you know, I spoke with one of the more thoughtful people in the oil business, Mike Worth, yesterday. He's the CEO of Chevron. And he just said, listen, we've got the greatest growth profile. We have the best balance sheet. We've got the most solid dividend. We've got the most solid buyback. Even after doing all those things, what happened? Boom. They actually, their balance sheet was better the next year. And he, he, he said he's got the, one of the best profiles for all growth companies. David, yeah. no one will touch that stuff. No. Uh, you know, I'm going to share this later because Ubin was, uh, was here because a SPAC yesterday, uh, Vecto IQ, Steve Gursky ran that. Remember He's a him? smart fellow from uh, the auto bought, business. They merged with a company called Nikola. He knows Nikola, GM, which he knows is GM better than anyone. Hydrogen cell, fuel stations, and the trucks that are going to uh, go through them. We did a long interview, which we're going to make available later. We're going to share some of it. But that's why Ubin was here. But we talked about BP. 
as well. Jim, you're going to want to listen to that because it's so interesting as, you know, buying the thing at three times EBITDA, but Oven talks about the new world and what these companies need to potentially think about doing. My travel trust owns that we go over every morning stocks that we think we're idiots on that we should wear post-its. Now I've got substantial real estate there in the post-it. And uh, BP is on there. It's been backished. Was that a new verb? Don't don't make that a verb. That's a new verb. Well, it's new world. That's the CEO, by the way, of Viacom. It is. By the way, Viacom just never stops. Is that a value stock? Never stops. It is a value stock, and it keeps getting less and less valuable. Well, isn't that part of what we're talking about? Cheaper, if you believe. Uh, I just uh, think it's, it's down very... 45% for this year. By yeah, the way, well, this year that's... is still only two months and a well, few you, days. You search old. for when you're really stupid, and what you, when you're really stupid is you don't listen to Jeff Ubbin. Okay? Jeff Ubbin's telling you the death of value. So you want to go to the morgue? Viacom. I've been to the morgue when I covered homicide. Audited I don't like it. Times EBITDA, and now I'm selling it at four. Morgue. Better than Backish? Morgue. There's a ton of headlines uh, regarding uh, coronavirus on the public health front, on the travel front, uh, corporate news. Let's get to Meg Terrell for all the latest. Hi, Meg. Hey, Carl. Well, we've been seeing new case counts decline in China and grow in the rest of the world. And for the first time, the daily number of new deaths reported outside of China have surpassed those reported in the country, suggesting, as the New York Times put it, that the front line of the epidemic may be shifting. Experts are cautious, though, about declaring China out of the woods and are closely watching what happens as restrictions there are lifted and people return to work. And if the front lines are shifting, it's to places like South Korea, Italy and Iran. South Korea now reporting more than 5,600 cases and Iran almost 3,000. In Italy, with more than 2,500 cases, weighing plans to close schools for two weeks. India reporting its first cases yesterday, a traveler from Italy and six of his family members. Today, the count of infections there climbing to 28. In the U.S., more states reporting their first cases, along with a report from New Hampshire that a patient with the disease broke self-isolation and attended a party. This as health officials still trying to get a handle on the key characteristics about this virus, including the fatality rate. The World Health Organization yesterday saying globally about 3.4 percent of reported COVID-19 cases have died, compared with far fewer than 1 percent of people with the seasonal flu. The difference, they note, is that people haven't built up immunity to this new virus and are more susceptible to infection and, for some, severe disease. Guys. Well, uh, um, Meg, 3.4 percent, I think, has gotten some people's attention this morning and and what you might imagine is a negative way. Isn't that higher than what we'd anticipated originally? How accurate is that? It's above where the Spanish influenza was in 1918, I believe. Yeah, it's certainly considered an early estimate. That is really just where we stand right now. And what a lot of people are saying is, especially as we are starting to see new countries reporting cases, what are getting picked up are the more severe cases. So the death count is going to be sort of artificially high until we start uh, detecting all of the mild cases as well, guys. Inside China, we'd heard more of a fatality rate of about 2%. And really what experts will tell you is it's important to break this down by age. People who get are older have a higher death rate. Younger people, not so much. Yeah, Meg, in every pandemic of any major proportion, including the 1958 uh, incredible flu season, there's always a tremendous number of people who die overseas, and the public health system is just so poor overseas in so many countries. Obviously, it's very bad in uh, Italy, even though I thought that the northern Italy had dealt with that system pretty good. Can we distinguish, start distinguishing between the rest of the world and United States, because we've never had the same lethality rate in any flu 
that uh, the rest of the world has, because I really think that the WHO, which has really particularly done a terrible job, is just scaring the heck out of people when they're not distinguishing between ages and not distinguishing between countries. Yeah, Jim, of course, it's going to be different uh, wherever you are, how old you are, and also what kind of underlying conditions you have. Um, smokers, uh, people with chronic respiratory conditions, those are the people who um, are, are facing um, worse outcomes potentially from this. 80% of people will have a mild case uh, if the data from China stands up around the rest of the world. All right, well, a big piece of that puzzle is uh, enlarging the denominator, and right. we will have uh, clinical labs uh, meeting in D.C. today for their convention, airline CEOs uh, meeting uh, with the vice president, and a lot more. Thanks, Meg. We'll get Kramer's Mad Dash. We'll count down to the opening bell. Uh, also ahead, as we said, GE chairman and CEO Larry Culp on his company's outlook. Stocks on the rise this morning. Take a look at the pre-market. Uh, a lot more to get to this hour. Squawk in the Street continues from the NYSE straight ahead. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back. Kind of feels like we've already had an entire week, given the moves in the markets. But uh, it's only hump day here, or otherwise known as Wednesday. Let's get to a mad dash. We start trading about 10 minutes from now. United Healthcare going to be a feature. Yes. Joe Biden, I would assume. I said this is Biden. This is Biden's poll numbers. This is how relevant Biden is to the conversation. It trades one for one with Biden. It's going to be up 10%. Now, the only thing it had, they did have a meeting with with, uh, Citi. And they're saying, listen, our coronavirus exposure has been limited. Uh, Medicare, the Medicare Advantage continues to show solid growth. Their Medicare Advantage program is a very good program. But, David, uh, this thing would have been down 10 percent had not been for Texas, Minnesota, whatever you'd like. So keep close to this. This is the stock. If you want to monitor who is going to get the Democratic nomination, this one is the big money play on who gets it. Because they won't, you know, Bernie gets it. They don't exist. If he actually were to get his right. health care plan Biden passed. gets it. If he were to become president and get his health care right. plan. Remember, Biden favors universal health insurance and Bernie favors no health insurance. Right. And you can say that that's better. Or look at the Italian um, health care system today. How are they doing? And I thought their system was good because they have a lot of good doctors. But you know what? Uh, they're, they've been blown up by Corona. Now, this is not the only name that's responding positively to Biden. No, uh, Centene is a good example. The also, the McKessons, the ones that are considered to be a carrier and uh, vultures by uh, Bernie, are just considered to be the way of doing business by Biden. And so the way of doing business is in charge today. By the way, I just want to say one thing. I'm always very solicitous of everyone who comes to the exchange, uh, and I want to thank them. But I'm not going to shake anyone's hand during this crisis because every doctor tells you, you want to get it? Shake hands. No, it's uh, time for our PSA. We do every day. Don't shake people's Don't hands. Don't shake hands. It's a little odd in a social interaction to say no. Well, it used to be. It was a way to show off. you had no weapons. That's how it started. Yeah. I have no defense. Give him the peace sign. Give him the peace sign. Oh, I like that. Or a thumbs up. Yeah. Or Dr. Spock, maybe? Yeah, or this. Or possible. That. But I'm fake, not being mean. I'm hug. not a meanie, as my eight-year-old would just. Not a meanie. No. 
or the Just foot tap. Like that. But anything but a handshake. All right. We're coming right back. Stick around. We've got GE's CEO, by the way, Larry Culp, in the next hour on Squawk in the Street. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. You're watching CNBC Squawk on the Street, live from the financial capital of the world, the opening bell in just under six minutes. Another uh, busy day as we weigh both the coronavirus headlines and the political implications of last night's Super Tuesday races. Uh, the IMF's Georgieva is on the tape, uh, who we're going to talk to later on this morning, says uh, China production is ret- restored to 60 percent, hopes to move to 90 percent in the coming weeks. Of course, IMF and World Bank have canceled their spring meeting in D.C. They're going to make it a virtual meeting. I think that Larry Culp, who we're interviewing in the next hour, is going to come up with a similar figure. I get this figure over and over again from people that China is better, worse, making them come back, okay, 60 percent, which is up from 30 percent. But we still get those images, satellite images of pollution in China, and it's still relatively uh, pollution free, which says not everybody, the numbers could be overstated of who's coming back to work. What a terrible thing is a way to analyze it, huh? How much bad air they have. By the way, this bad air is so, is one other thing. It is so in play when it comes to the death rate because it's respiratory illness. Your respiratory, your lungs aren't so good in bad air. Heavy smokers, heavy smokers, terrible pollution. You don't go outside. Men men are uh, much more, uh, dying much more. It's about 56% men versus women, and it's five to one smoke in China, men versus women. So obviously smoking matters. We got to start distinguishing. In order to make it so fear doesn't rain, we have, because again, in the 1958, you had 2 million people died of the flu, of which 33,000 died here. Right, but we just need to, um, we need more uh, data. We need more data. We don't have enough. Well, First of all, we also, I mean, nobody's getting tested in this country. We're just starting. That's crazy. Also, there's so a, a lot of people who have it who, are, who have already had it and gotten rid of it. And there's a difference, uh, Jim, between fear and planning. Yes, uh, Reuters right. has a piece up about J.P. Morgan today. They're going to ask thousands of their employees in the U.S. to spend a day working from home over the coming weeks to test the contingency plans uh, should they have to require it. Do I need a teller? A teller. No. I mean, one of the things that Bank of America has done is they basically figured out how many transactions can be done online. I mean, will this be the death knell of people who really turn out to be a little bit unnecessary? Wouldn't that be something? In a world where Zoom video, which reports tonight, basically makes it so you can uh, do a lot of business at home? Right. Do but, we have to have... No, you're right. What behaviors will change as Don't a you result think? of this that will be changed forever? Maybe very few, but some. Ooh, I think a lot. I think that stay at home is a lot cheaper. 
I really think what will happen with J.P. Morgan is they may have to fundamentally reevaluate. Uh, I, I, I'm not trying to scare people, but there's a lot of excess people if you work at home. They're, they're building a giant new headquarters or adding to their old one in, on Park Avenue right Are now. They? So, yeah, I don't think they're expecting to have people not come into work. Well, they're doing Spending well. billions of dollars on that, what will be a they're, beautiful building. My stay-at-home uh, index is uh, soaring. Except for Moderna, which every day is just the football stock. Dr. Fauci liked Moderna yesterday, today. Moderna is another one of those stocks that takes the temperature of things. Uh, so does the tenure. I mean, we can put together the things that take, that take the temperature. And right now, the tenure is boring the heck out of us. And if that means boring the heck out of us, then you don't have to, Oh, here goes the tenure. Uh, yeah, well, started, uh, it certainly started is doing wonders for uh, mortgage refis, up 26% week on week. Oh, Overall wow. applications up 15. That's good for Wells Fargo and Charlie Sharp. Charlie's got his work cut out from there, but that's a good uh, mortgage play. I got my mortgage from Astoria. Same price as I got with the 10-year right. too. But what are you supposed to do in this environment with a 10-year at that level? Are you Really, you're going to go to cash now? I mean, eventually, no. you are now. Because well, then you could say the Fed wanted wealth effects. How are you, is anybody able to get a return? Jeff no. Ubbins' point also. How are you a value investor when value has no meaning any longer because you discount things at a 1% rate? I, I totally this agree. Not, but buy Coca-Cola. Buy Coca-Cola. I'm a, you know, the president buy, buy, may want negative buy, rates. Buy, that buy, would be horrible. President negative rates. Wow, it's, he's so wrong about that. It's really painful. What that says is that our country's weak. Uh, and that we shouldn't, you shouldn't have any money coming here. Our country's strong, and I'm surprised our president opts for a strategy which says our country's weak. That's not the way he usually acts. He needs to be, I think, uh, schooled on this. Yeah. We should not, he should not be saying I mean, make America weak again. Why is he doing that? Why is he saying he wants to weaken our country? Isn't his game plan to make it great? The banks obviously are not beneficiaries of this rate environment, although yesterday no. the yield curve did steepen a bit, at least early on. Wells Fargo's down about 25% so far, stock, so it's lost a quarter oh, the of the whole value group this is year. Just Bank of America's down 21%. Well, they're the loser again, in this low rate environment. Right. You want zero rates? Do you, do, you, do you take the chance and buy the bank? No. No. No, because you have a guy coming on named Jeff Ubbett. Those are value plays. You know what value means? It means sell. Look at this. You know, my travel trust owns Goldman. It sells at about seven times earnings. I hope it goes up because it's got a credit card business. Well, there you go. A lot of you students can, here today. You can be ordering from home school? and still use your credit card. Well, look, I think the savior, the savior for Goldman will be the Apple card. The savior for Master, MasterCard's a better run company than Goldman. They're doing fine, MasterCard. Uh, Lisa Ellis from Moffitt Mason says it's time to buy his MasterCard. They've obviously taken the low end. Opening bell on the S&P 500 at the bottom of your screen on the big board. It's GFL Environmental, a Canadian waste management company celebrating its IPO today. Interesting choice. At the NASDAQ, it's uh, National Cinemedia, a cinema advertising network celebrating its 15th anniversary. We're so oversold. Look at this. I don't want to tell people to bail out of everything, but I do think that everything's being taken up by the S&P. Good time to sell travel and leisure. Uh, sell travel and leisure. Today. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Look, if you're canceling all these conventions, well, there, was, there was a few conferences in Chicago yesterday, 78,000 uh, hotel rooms. The houseware show. Yeah, what do you want to do? You want to buy that? No. I mean, look, there's some things that are going up that make plenty of sense. Drug companies. 
But then there's airlines. I mean, I know that Warren Buffett's buying an airline. He doesn't care if they have a shortfall. Look, obviously, he was saying last week it's just as good a time to buy as any. Now, if, of course, I had said that, you know, people would be saying, where did Jim, Jim go? Is it the coronavirus or was he removed? Uh, well, you guys did UNH at the Telestrator. Campbell's uh, beats and they guides above quarter. on surging sales of non-perishable foods. Can you, I bought the dark, not, you know, my wife bought the chicken noodle soup. I did, too. I touched my, I touched, I, I touched my too. face. I bought the chicken you know. noodle and I did went you? back to my old staple, the, uh, the chunky. We did mac and cheese. Which used to be my meal for dinner. When I wasn't having Chef Boyardee. How about He Man? No, just to no. know. But yeah, they, I, we used to buy Swanson. We always thought that was a luxury. You've got to buy a lot of food to really like prepare for a long period of time. Too much, way too much. Really? Yeah, we're going to be able to go about a day. I think we got a day's worth. Well, that's silly. It is. Yeah, we got, a, we got a pantry that looks like Costco. <laughs> Giant uh, uh, hydraulic lifts uh, helping on the you move paper food towels, around. though, and the TP. You okay well, on that? Um, those, I think I could. Have. Right, let's not go in. You can have a bulk wait sale. Too, wait, wait, wait. No. Thing breaks? No. But I've got to tell you, can I just say, it's not a bad idea. I mean, this again, it's not a bad, a bad idea to stock up. Who's saying that? The doctors. I mean, you, you, again, you don't have to be a doctor to say what a doctor says. I, do I want to stock up on Campbell's chicken noodle? I, I'm listening to my doctor. He says, are you guys stocking up on chicken? No. I am brave. I don't care. I'm going to weather the virus. No. I mean, that's the Iranian way. How's that doing? How's the Iranian way handling? By the way, Iran is a very interesting... I mean, Why? Because they just chose well, not because to because of care. the impact the virus will have on the social fabric there, on perhaps right. the, government. the government. I mean, it's not to, not to be ignored either. I don't think we're going to go up as much as we went down yesterday, by the way, just so people know. Well, you want to lighten up, you want to change some things, do it into this strength. Yeah. Uh, we did lose 785 yesterday, so we're trying to uh, reverse all of those losses. Tom Lee had a good note overnight, um, looked at the number of instances in which you had six straight days of less than 10 percent of the S&P below the 10-day moving average. On day seven, in all four of those instances, you rallied. Really? So his point was, if we don't rally today, this market is, in his words, extremely not normal. Wow. Yeah, well, look, at the S&P oscillator that I use, uh, other than the financial crisis, I mean, I'm looking at, uh, I'm looking at 20 years worth of data. Other financial crisis we found today. Uh, I'm sorry. Looking at 20 years says that we should bounce today. Yes. Other than the financial yes. crisis, so, which was exactly. also a extremely not normal market. Right. Uh, that's what we should do. Uh, but I don't like the tenure. The tenure is starting to go down in yield, and the tenure is just the, the S&P futures. Common stock just trades off of that. You don't really need to see much. So if the tenure continues to uh, go down and yield, then we'll reverse this move. Yeah. There's really, we're in algo-driven, algorithms are programmed to sell stock when the 10-year goes down in yield. So even if there's oversold, blah, 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 that's what's going to happen. Jim, did you ever think you'd see the 10-year with a 0.9 in front of it? No, but that's just a sign that there's a cessation of business and a total fear. Is it that, or is it also a flight to safety? Is that a part of it? A total of fear. Flight, yeah, flight to safety. People don't trust any financial uh, right. instrument. Same thing, right. By Me. the way, uh, J.P. Morgan says 50% chance of zero rates this year. It's not their base case. They still see 130 by the middle of the year and 160 by the end of the year. See, well, that would be good. We would take that, right? Well, I say yes, we would. But uh, you know, I'd rather know that Gilead's uh, palliative right now, but whether Gilead's drugs work. I mean, look, like, I don't care about any of this. I, nobody trusts anything. We don't trust anything because everything is fluid. 
Well, we don't have enough data. Right. Um, now, why I, is that? Because we just don't know it's anything. Too early. We still yes. No natural measure. Too early to measure. I think right. China is still unclear in some ways. Right. Questioning right. it. I mean, South Korea certainly more so uh, in terms of at least well, trying to understand. But we don't. Look, I, I do think if you go back to the higher yielding stocks, I know it's really boring. Okay. Uh, and I'm using Coca-Cola as a rubric. But this is when you buy Coca-Cola. And there is no doubt about it that James Quincy's doing a really good job. They had very good organic growth. The yield is fine. It's a Buffett stock. No one ever got, never, no one ever made a mistake buying it. It's not been a performer of late, but now we got James Quincy's doing a good job. Yeah. So there, okay? What Coca-Cola. About this, what about dividend-paying stocks? What's, what's ExxonMobil's dividend? Oh, right David, now? you're doing oil and gas. Then you got in the ESG world. I am. 6.8%. Well, yeah, but 6. so what? So 6.8 times the 10-year yield. Well, you know, their Chevron is the one that has much cover, much better coverage. Okay. Right. And Chevron's got better growth. Chevron's got better balance sheet. And yield's five. I mean, that, um, it, but you could buy it, but then you're a pariah. You're, you have to hope that Robinhood stays down. Would you, would you well, buy Chipotle on Wells going to 1,000 from made 68? <laughs> did, you, did you read this one this yeah, morning? Yeah, I love Chipotle. Why'd they do that? Why recommend the food stock rate? You might get a better chance to buy it lower. Um, I mean, remember, you have to go and be with other people when you buy. You know, we've talked... They do have great takeout. They have great delivery. Chipotle has great delivery. And they make money delivery. And by the way, uh, uh, what else? Nomiro ups uh, Home Depot today. KeyBank ups Mattel. I saw Mattel using $16 price target. I met with Mattel management. I kind of like it. Hasbro's kind of fallen down on the job. They're switching to too much of little theatrics. Uh, I would go back on the... On the you probably spent an immense amount of time with me talking about how much money they make on uh, delivery to home. So that's, that call may not be so bad. What I was wondering is that's the stock that's up the most in the S&P. So why would you go after that? an investor willing to look past what's going to be some economic dislocation, why not buy things that are historically cheap right now? Why not? Why not? Yeah. Because they could get historically cheaper. That's why. All right. So historically yeah, cheaper. I'd rather, uh, buy, note, I'd rather buy Hershey's. On that note, we've talked what? a lot about the, uh, the oil companies, of course, which you you're, say. You're stay caught up from. on them. Well, I want to I share some thoughts from Jeff Uppen again because you and I have talked about this a lot. Now, he runs an ESG fund, was early there with the Spring Funded Value Act, and yet Uppen uh, is buying BP. Well, again, a major I, oil and gas company. He's right. Take a listen to what he said, and I want to get your reaction afterwards. I was buying BP yesterday or two days ago at 30 bucks a share, three times EBITDA. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. You know, it's really hard to get off oil. And the company's done a great job in the last three years financially. The balance sheet's fine. Um, the, you know, they can be part of the, of the solution. They can move to carbon capture and hydrogen and other things with their capital spend to become a company of the future. But I'm sitting there saying, you know, who, what fundamental, usually I could buy a stock at below intrinsic value and sell it to somebody at intrinsic value, and that's my business. Like, who am I going to sell BP to, really? Wow. I mean, look, he's so right. You know, why did we buy BP for the travel trust? We figured we buy it at 7% yield. 
and then we buy it at 8% yield, someone's going to come in and want that yield, and they really haven't yet. BP upped its dividend. BP's got a 50, they've got the best plan for how to be less carbon-oriented. They're a remarkable company. They sold off enough assets that their balance sheet's good, and yet it, it, it was wrong. It was wrong. I mean, I think you have to say I'm not early. It was wrong because I believe that all those things would create interest, and it didn't, which is one of the reasons I, I was so tough on Mike Worth yesterday, the CEO of Chevron, because I was looking at BP, and I said, well, they went to 7.7, and they're, they're a pretty good company. Why will Chevron not go to 7.7? So Jeff's right. Again, really, what an honest guy. Thank heavens he didn't come on and say, you know what, I own BP, and they got a great yield, and this is going to be a- No! It's good to have a little. Yeah, no, he's always an interesting and thoughtful uh, interview. In that Do you always way. like that? Yes. Not afraid to say that he no. got. No. Why is that? Always appreciate it. Confident, that. honest. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, in a person. great firm, too. Listen, I mean, they sold Microsoft way too early. No. Took that position. Well, just a second. I think Trump's meeting. Sold it in 17. No, Trump's having a really important meeting. He's meeting with what, Kim from, from North Korea. Who's he meeting? Is he meeting with Kim? Oh, Kim Kardashian. I thought it was Kim. Is Are you true? being serious? All right, well, I guess we'll, we'll find out in good time. Uh, you mentioned Hub and David Ackman's the other one with uh, some news piece on our website about how he's taking steps to protect uh, the portfolio from downside, uh, seeing substantial negative impact uh, from the, the attempts to mitigate the effects of the virus, Jim. I see Fitch is on the tape talking about restaurants uh, and how they can expect more restaurants to be in distress. Yeah, I mean, look, I think that anyone who's not been obviously a number of restaurateurs, given what I do for a living, and uh, I got to tell you something, we are without a doubt in a challenged industry. Are you seeing a reduction, though, in any? No, we You're haven't. not, right? People have really good bookings. Out. Yeah. Really good bookings, and I, th- I attribute that to the fact that people are still confident to go out. Uh, and haven't been scared to, but I think that if you're, uh, when you talk to Cisco, which is the SYY kind, they're not seeing any diminution. Remember, they supply to all the restaurants. They were here yesterday ringing the bell. Right, and they did a great job. I'm just talking about something being forward. Uh, exclusive Trump does Kim Kardashian. Let's not be, let's be serious. Oh, to discuss criminal justice reform. That's not her first visit, by the way. No, I mean, that's a perfectly... You don't want him to just be consumed by the coronavirus. She's been a great spokesman. By the way, the president has been very good on... Um, recommending that you uh, that you hire people who've come out of prison, and I, we've done that. And it's loyal people who have would, who were in prison for things that aren't criminal now. Mm-hmm. So I didn't mean to be too hard on the president. I just thought it was, you know, there's a lot going on, a lot going on. Kim Kardashian. Yeah, I don't follow uh, Kim. <laughs> Kim. Unlike most of America, like 24 million followers. Yes, something. many more than I do. What do you get with the program? I don't. Not my thing. How do you feel Fang versus Fang? The oil Fang versus Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Alphabet. Yeah. Uh, Amazon with an employee case in Seattle. I know. Facebook pulling out of South by Southwest. You know, Jim, one thing that uh, got attention today was uh, AT&T accelerated buyback, $4 billion, which sort of flies in the face of this theory that if corporates are under real stress, they're thinking about cash flow, inventories, uh, working capital. Do, ba- do buybacks take a hit? And I thought that, yes, I think they do. But Chevron said, Jim, you're wrong. When you have the cash flow, you do them. I think ATT was a statement buyback. Remember, there's that tug of war between the good people at Elliott and uh, the good people at, at Moffitt Nathanson. Remember, Moffitt Nathanson is kind of the, 
uh, Bernie Sanders of ATT. Yes, yes. They're not particularly positive on the future of the company. Oh. There's a great debate out there. What do you there think about that accelerated buyback? Do you think they would conserve it? Listen, they, uh, they generate a lot of uh, free cash flow, and not all of it has to go to the dividend. Um, so they are, they do target a certain amount to, beyond that that's right. return to shareholders. There is still a belief out there, I think, in, in part from the likes of Moffat Nathanson and other investors, not just the sell side, that AT&T will come under some pressure. In but it's got a great yield. What it's going to see there uh, in terms of the lack of success, DirecTV, the continued subscription defections. Right. Uh, they did launch their AT&T Now product. Remember replacing the DirecTV yes. Now product? Um, uh, very recently. But David, when you mention ATT um, as something people ought to buy, and I've been recommending it to people, the first thing they say is, oh, come on, that yield came. Dividend's not to be trusted. Why would you buy $4 billion of common stock if you're really worried about your dividend? Yeah, that's, I don't think the dividend. I think the dividend's I think fine. There, is con- there was concern sometimes about it, but the last, the last few quarters, I don't think that's the case. The wireless business is still fairly strong. Okay. And in this environment, I mean, the question becomes, if we have a real recession, people get laid off, are they, in- are they somehow not able to pay their wireless bills? Does that result in a reduction? Wow. You know, that's, that's the last but thing we're far start. from that. Right. Which is, which is why uh, market PMIs and in a few minutes ISM are going to be so important for that. We're going to turn to Rick Santelli in Chicago. Good morning, Rick. Good morning. Well, not only do we have a non-manufacturing ISM, we also have the markets version, and that will be coming up shortly. Uh, Very quickly, let's look at what's going on with the markets. Uh, Two-day charts seem appropriate. Look at a two-day of two-year. Obviously, we're extending. Uh, We're only one basis point away from the historic uh, uh, trade yesterday at down minus, down at 62 basis points, which obviously is the lowest level going back to 16. If you look at what happened to two-day and tens, their low yield, which is historic all-time, was 90 basis points. We're six away, so you can see there's curve implications going on. Finally, a year to date of 10-year note yields. You know, I'd like to draw your attention to something very important. Basically, the first trades of the year were the high yields of the year. I know that the coronavirus is accelerating the moves here with flight to safety, but we've been somewhat rate-doomed ever since the first trade. Here we go. Market, service sector number, PMI, 49.4, exactly as expected, exactly as in the rearview mirror. And it does happen to be, of course, uh, the lowest level ever for this series. And this is the final read, of course. And the reason I say it's the lowest read for this series is that unlike the next number we're going to get that may have a longer history in terms of non-manufacturing ISM, this series only goes back to March 2017, and the 49.4 is the lowest reading in that time frame. Let's get back to the charts quickly. So we were talking about the year-to-date of the 10-year. First trade of the year was the high yield. We've drifted lower. Look at the dollar index. Basically, the first trade of the year was the lows, and it just continued to accelerate. And here we come, back down, getting closer and closer to testing it. Point of the matter is, is that many of the variables that were exaggerated recently, whether it was due to the Fed action or not, well, they seem to be just adding to what was long-term trends that have been with us, not only for 2020, but beyond. And at 1040 Eastern, let's discuss all these topics with Jean-Claude Trichet, former ECB president, so I hope you'll join me. Carl, Jim, David, back to you. All right, Rick, thank you. We'll see you in a little uh, 15 minutes. Let's get to Bob Dow's up 505. 
Carl, uh, healthcare is leading. United Health is 40% of the Dow gains right now, but banks are lagging. Gold's down here. Just take a look at some of the stocks here. Uh, healthcare, big leadership group. Semi's also doing well. Utilities bouncing on the yields still staying down here. That's getting a bounce. Industrial about in line here. Again, you see banks doing nothing right now. And you take a look at some of the big banks that are out there. No bounce at all today and no bounce in yields uh, either. So there you go. <laughs> this is zero, doing absolutely nothing. J.P. Morgan's actually a drag on the Dow Jones Industrial right now. We talked about this yesterday, but bears repeating again, this triple whammy, as I like to call it, with the banks here. Rock bottom rates here, lower loan growth possibilities uh, with the coronavirus impact. And then the, the also, these are possibilities of higher default rates out there. There's your triple whammy hurting banks. One thing's for sure, these banks are getting really cheap again, like cheap on back three, four years ago here. So nine times forward on, on Bank of America. This was 13, uh, six weeks ago. City, uh, 7.6, that was 10, six weeks ago. Uh, fifth, third, eight, eight and a half. Uh, these were um, uh, uh, around 10, also six weeks ago. So nobody's going any big calls on buying the banks because of the P ratios are down. But again, they're back in those really cheap uh, areas that we've seen uh, several years ago. Healthcare stocks, all huge today, obviously. Look, United, uh, United Health here, uh, 12 points there. That's a big part of the uh, overall move here uh, that we're seeing uh, in the Dow, uh, 32 points actually up. That's a big reason why the Dow is up so much. Anthem, HCA, of course, all this uh, on, uh, on Biden's victories. And if you take a look at the futures here, I just want to show you this, what happened last night overnight, because as we got trickles reporting here, here's the futures at 7 o'clock. This is when the first results started coming in about uh, Super Tuesday. You can see the market just sort of moving up uh, throughout the days. We've got headlines on uh, uh, clear Biden victories in a number of key states and, of course, that upset win in Texas. It's been very hard interpreting the impact of elections on the stock market. This is a, a very difficult. A lot of people have a hard time with it. Raymond James had a point out this morning. I think it was as good as any. Uh, remember that whole thing about Sanders, uh, that the surge of Sanders would be good for the markets because he would lose against President Trump? Uh, and that was the initial idea. So the markets kind of ignored a lot of this. The coronavirus uncertainty created a higher chance of Sanders winning. Uh, and the of course, that created a lot of uncertainty. It may have contributed to some of the market turmoil in the last week. This is very hard to push out and figure out in a clear way. But Biden's uh, Super Tuesday wins lowered Sanders' chances overall. And so now you've got a possibility uh, of the market being okay uh, with, with Biden going here. This is very hard to figure out here, but this is Raymond James' interpretation. I think it makes some sense. Right now, we're just off of the highs for the day. Carl, Dow's up 512 points. Back to you. All right. Thank you very much, Bob. Uh, Jim, we did not get a, a chance to talk some retail uh, to the degree that can reflect what's going on. Uh, Urban, of course, was a miss. Yeah. Goldman, though, does add target to the conviction buy list. It's very interesting because you've got a real tug of war there. You had a price target uh, cut there by BMO. Uh, now, I would say that Target had a—I read the Target comp score. I thought that Brian Cornell was pretty optimistic. Stocks come down a lot. Uh, contrast that with Kohl's, by the way. Kohl's, I thought, had it looked like it was a decent quarter. They raised a the dividend, and what happens? The stock gets pancaked. Uh, Nordstrom, stock gets pancaked. People do not want these standalone second-tier retailers. They have decided the, the, you know how the oil companies. Nordstrom, by the way, we should mention a change there. As much. Eric Nordstrom it was taking down 10% over as the sole CEO. They had had a joint CEO structure. That conference call was disjointed, and I saw no reason to buy the stock. The Coles conference call was just over and over again. We screwed up, we screwed up, we screwed up. We're going to get better. Well, I mean, the judgment's been made by the market. They're irrelevant. Uh, Target's not irrelevant. 
And I think that that matters. I think Brian Cornell's going to recover. And I did not have a good quarter. The one that obviously, if you really want to be in it, come on, guys, go back to Costco. There's no doubt in anyone's mind that we're about to have uh, Costco numbers, but there's no doubt in anyone's mind that the future, and I think Rich Glanty, who runs the conference call, by the way, is hilarious. If you want to hear a conference call, someone was saying, well, what's so good last time? And he said, see cucumbers. You know, cucumber. I mean, he is has... He is so good. I want people to listen to his call. It is calming. He's smart. It's a great retailer. And it's where you go to stock up. Costco is where you go. That's for sure. Uh, Still to come this morning, GE's Larry Culp is going to join us on his strategy for turning around the company in this volatile market environment. You got the Dow up 480. uh, 10-year trying to hang on to one. VIX is actually down two points. Back in a minute. Time for Kramer and stop trading. Okay, so maybe there's a victory with uh, Jay Powell with the home builders. Uh, for instance, Toll Brothers is up today, and we had Wedbush says it's the best idea. I hadn't think the Horton, by the way, and I talked to Amy Zellman. I mean, I'm sorry, Ivy Zellman. Ivy is by far the best in this group, I think. And Ivy says, listen, if you really believe in this by Horton, now let, let's just go over again. The short rates have not really influenced mortgage rates. I mean, I'm getting a 3.18. I went yesterday to try to readjust it. They said, what, are you kidding me? Like, like looking at the bonds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so let's not get all excited. But there are people. I mean, Ivy's really, really good. And she's willing to say that maybe there's some you want to buy Horton is fine. The stock's actually done quite well this year. Uh, but I also point out that Doug Yearly, who is the CEO of Toll Brothers, said he wasn't sure about the spring selling season because of, yes, Corona. Yeah. On, on the material side, people don't show up. Supply what is issues. Yeah, what's the- people want to stay home. Ah. You mean just open houses, forget it? Yes. Even with the 30-year murders? Well, no, you know what, David? It's 30-year versus versus getting sick. Uh, you know, you got the one-eighth. I got the health thing going. You're going to get sick, and you're most likely going to get better. Well, isn't that sage-like? Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I'm just trying to David, if it's 3% sanity. versus 1.4%, I don't know. Carry Purell and go see a house. How about How about tonight? Okay, I got Dollar Tree, which a lot of people feel, I think, I agree with. It could be the bottom in this very tough period. Uh, I, I, Zendesk, well, what can I tell you? That's a work-at-home situation. And then my favorite, Mark Bristow. I like gold here so much I could scream. And he's the best gold miner, and the stock is even down. They always, he doesn't want me to call him dark doctor anymore. He's the first guy who told me, don't shake hands. Where? When he was in the middle of an Ebola crisis trying to negotiate a deal over gold mine. Wow. He's a visionary, and he's not a—he's not an epidemiologist, and he's not going to play one on TV. No, and he's not afraid. No, he's not. Remember what he called me. Assistant. Jim, we'll see you at six. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts.